If you'll allow me to tonight, I want to preach uh, what the Lord's put on my heart, and I want to preach to the young people. And not that I don't want those that are not considered young, which you consider yourself however you want to, not to take a break and check out, but you do know that you've lived long enough that you'll understand what I'm talking about. So you can help me preach it a little bit, and hopefully we can help these young people. I love young people. And if you look around, boy, the room is absolutely full of them tonight. And I love the fact that the world doesn't have all of the young people. But I also recognize the fact that it wants all the young people. There is a reality that we have faced in here that we have got to enjoy, that we encourage, and I constantly will put that in front of my children as long as the Lord allows me to. But I also recognize that there is a reality outside of these four walls. And it's real. And I want to talk to you a little bit, and I want you to stay with me. I'm going to do a couple things that I normally do not do. Uh, Normally, I like to just take a text and stay right there. But I want to expose something, a principle, a presence, a problem that is in the Word of God. And let me get you, let me just kind of catch you up to what I'm thinking, and then it'll make sense to both of us. Very practical person. The Lord let me preach a series, a short series last year in our church on the Anakims in the Bible, the sons of Anak. What we call that is the giants in the land of your life. What we mean by that is these people are not only gigantic people, they were a gigantic problem for God's people. As a people, they are undesirable. There is nothing good to say about that group of people. Their purpose for living is undelightful. They had one thing in mind, and that was to be a grief to the people of God, and not just to be a grief to them, but to root them out and destroy them. So as a person, they're undesirable. Their purpose is undelightful. But here's what we recognize, that their presence was undeniable. You are not going to look past the giants that those people were facing. And spiritually, we understand that we do not face a physical giant in the life that we live. But just because we have spiritual giants in our life does not mean that they are not real and it does not mean that they are not right in front of us. There are things in all of our lives that are undesirable, that are undelightful, and you can do whatever you want to tonight. You will admit that they are undeniable. When you get up to go to work in the morning, you can sense their presence in the car with you. When you're washing dishes, Mom, at home, you can tell when they're around, they hover over us, They bother us and there are giants in the land of your life. We got them in Alabama. They got them in North Carolina. They're in my home. They're in your home. They're in my heart. They're in your heart. There's giants in the land. Giants. We could talk about several things. I won't waste time tonight. But how about the giant of fear and worry and anxiety and doubt? Different stressors such as guilt that we carry, rejection, resentment, failure. The list could go on and on and on. The giant that I'm interested in exposing tonight is a little bit more subtle, but just as serious. And tonight I want for just a few moments for these young people, and if you got a pen, write it down. Not because I think it's great information, but I think it's going to be a great possibility that you're going to face this one. And that is, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the giant of envy. 
the giant of envy. More specifically, I want to answer this question, what can you expect to find at the end of envy? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter number 23, verse number 17, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Flip a page with me to Proverbs chapter number 24, and let's pick up verse number 1. The Bible says, Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. Again, in Proverbs chapter number 24, verse number 19, Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. One more time in Proverbs chapter number 24, verse 20. For there shall be no reward to the evil men, or I'm sorry, just a continuation there, of the, of the evil men, the candle of the wicked shall be put out. Look with me in chapter 27. One more place, chapter number 27. The Bible says this in verse number 4. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able To stand before envy. Envy. Sir Francis Bacon describes envy as an evil which enjoys no holidays. Philip Bailey said it this way, very interesting. It's an English poet of decades gone by. He describes envy as a coat that comes hissing hot from hell. Shakespeare simply diagnosed it as the green sickness. And it's something that we all deal with. And for the people who think, well, I don't deal with that at all, just hang around with us. You just give us that do a little bit of time, see if we can work through this. Because here's what we find in the Word of God, that some of the greatest men, men who walked where very few others ever had, Men who possessed wisdom that no man ever had. Men that enjoyed wealth that was unheard of of their time. They all write to us about one thing, and that is the danger of envy. And my mind is, what in the world would they have to be envious about? Solomon's summation of this sin is that there is no one who will not struggle with it. Now I'm going to cut right to the chase. If you'll give me 20 minutes, will you agree with me that there is no one that will not struggle with it? And I want you also to see that for everyone who sacrifices to try to get whatever they're envious of are never satisfied. They're never satisfied. Job, the wealthiest man of his time, a man who was identified as being a righteous man, shares his thoughts on the tenacity of envy, and he tells us even its target audience. Listen to what Job says in chapter 5, verse 2, For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. The word silly in the verse simply is speaking of someone who is easily deceived or enticed or can be allured away. And I want you young people to understand that there is something very sinister behind envy and it is not at all what you expect it to be. I want to consider just a few things tonight about this subject of envy. 
Reminding us once again that Job, the wealthiest and most well-known man of his day, David, Israel's greatest war hero, the nation's most beloved king, a man after God's own heart, Solomon, the wisest, withheld no pleasure from himself, Asaph, according to the Chronicles, Israel's greatest musician, appointed by David himself, and all of them that have wealth, that have wisdom, that have different abilities, that have different things in their life, they all point us back to watch out. For envy. Watch out for envy. It is, number one, very very practical tonight. Number one, envy is a prominent issue. What I mean by that is that it has no respecter of person and it does not have one personality that it goes after. What I mean by that tonight, it is not simply the sin of the low class person that simply just wants a better life. Sometimes that's what we think a lot of times. Oh, it's a message on envy. Oh, it's a message on jealousy. He's just talking to people that wish they had. Hold on now. It's not just a sin of the low class people. It's not just the sin of the lustful person who's always just wanting more satisfaction for themselves. It is a sin of every living person. We all will struggle with envy. Everyone struggles. Everyone at some point sees something that they suppose will suit them better than the situation or substance that they have right now that they have become unsatisfied with. Envy is a prominent issue. Envy is a personal issue. I want you to listen to me tonight that we only envy that which we believe we will really enjoy. Would you say amen to that? Well, it's going to become very troubling in just a moment when you hear what the Bible has to say about envy, how it constantly talks about how perplexing it is that almost every verse that we have read and will read connects our envy with some evil. Evil that our flesh desires. We'll shout again in a minute, okay? Just stay with me. Here's what I mean by that. He said, be not envious of evil men. That means that we have a tendency to be. He says, be not envious of the men. And we'll go on a little bit further. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But it is a personal, personal issue. Envy, I believe you agree tonight, is a perception issue. What I mean by that is envy builds its fortress on your feelings and then locates that fortress in a place that hides all the facts. You say, what do you mean by that? It makes you think that you would be better off somewhere else, doing something else, with someone else, having someone else. And the truth of the matter is that it never shows you the reality of what you would be if you went after that and left what you had to get it. It is a perception issue. It never shows you the relationships that will be damaged by what we decide to walk away from. And being just personal and practical tonight, young people, it does not show you how hurt your parents are when they find out what you have been doing alone with your cell phone in a locked room somewhere. It does not show you the awkward conversations that must be had at the dinner table where you walk in and dad says, hey, I'd like to to talk to you and immediately you start thinking oh no what does he know what does he not know what did he see what does he have what can I know should I lie should I tell the truth it doesn't show you the weight of guilt that you have to carry because you're living a double life it doesn't show you any of that 
Unless we think this is just something youthful people struggle with. Sir, it doesn't show you the end of your marriage when you start looking on the internet because you've become satisfied with the blessing that you once loved. It doesn't show you, ma'am, the end of everything when you're having cooler talks at work and you're no longer interested in confiding in the man at home. Hey, pastor, it doesn't show you the end of when you leave that church thinking you're going to go in a different direction, thinking you're going to go somewhere else and you're left all by yourself wishing that you had what you had. Does it show you all that? It is a perception issue. Never shows you the unnecessary remorse that comes with being led away by something that you thought was better than what God blessed you with. Envy always premieres as an as-it-seems show without ever showing you the true actual price of admission. We understand tonight that envy differs from jealousy. Envy is more subtle than jealousy. It is much more sophisticated. Envy supposes that someone else is experiencing a greater advantage than you are or a greater adventure than you have or a greater life. And it literally jealousy does one thing. Jealousy makes you hold on to what you have. Nobody else can have it. It's mine. That's how kids play with their things. They have a toy and another kid comes in and they want to grab the toy. That kid gets jealous. Boy, they'll grab that toy back. Makes you hold on. Envy makes you let go of what you have to chase something that you think you want. That is better. So knowing that, let's take a step back and understand that everybody deals with envy. Everybody. There's three psalms in the Word of God that teach us extensively about envy. The first one being Psalm chapter number 37. I'll read one verse there for you. The Bible, it's a psalm of David, says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious envious against the workers of iniquity. I want to give you three words tonight, young people. And I want you to write them down. Number one, David's solution to the pool of envy was to simply wait. To wait. You say, what do you mean by that? In verse number four, he follows verse number one by saying, Wait on the Lord and keep His way, and He shall exalt thee to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off. Thou shalt see it. But I will, just tonight the way I see it is, you're never going to see it if you leave to join the wicked that get cut off. Can I talk to you just for a minute? Just wait. Just wait. You say, what do you mean by that? You're thinking that everybody else is living it up, doing whatever they want to. You say, oh no, our young people don't think like that. Well, I'm so glad you believe that. But the truth of the matter is that everything they see out there, we know how bad it is, but we got to cut them some slack. It don't look as bad as we say it is. In fact, sometimes it looks pretty fun. Sometimes it looks pretty inviting. Sometimes it looks enticing when you go to school and you got friends that they don't have to do what you have to do. They don't have to answer 
to what you have to answer to. They don't have to be subject to who you have to be subject to. And we say, boy, if I could just be like them, if I could just know what it is to slip out of the house and slip in a pair of jeans and ride with a boy and hold a hand and have a phone conversation, whatever it may be tonight, you go back and forth and I'm telling you that if you will just wait, you will see the end of all that. I've lived long enough to watch them go and watch them come back and every one of them would say, I wish I would have just waited. I wish I would have just not left. I wish I would have just stayed. I wish I would have just stuck with my parents, stuck with my pastor, stuck with the church. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. The truth of the matter is, you can go out some other time and get whatever you think it is. Why don't you just wait and allow God to work in your life? Why don't you just push pause on never going back to church? Why don't you just put pause on giving your virginity away? Why don't you just push pause on everything that the world is pulling you to do? Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Psalm chapter number 49. The author is anonymous. The essence of Psalm 49 is that we should look to our own life. Our decisions, our disciplines. The psalm details how that we can be troubled by watching others. Watching people that do wrong, but yet they still increase. Watching people that are dirty and cheats, but they seem to have a good life. Watching those who leave what we know and flaunt their sin all over the place, and it feels like and looks like everything's alright. And the key here is not just to wait, but to watch and not watch them, watch yourself. Watch yourself. You say, what do you mean by that? I grew up and heard several different quotes made, but one person said that experience is the best teacher. I don't know if that's true. Here's what I do know is true. That experience is the hardest teacher. I don't know that it's necessarily the best. But here's what Solomon said later on in Proverbs. He said that we can learn a whole lot just by looking at something. He said, behold, I went by the field of the slothful. It was all grown up with nettles and thorns. He said, behold, I looked upon it and I received instruction. What he's saying is I was able to look at something, see where it was heading, see where I am, and know some things about that. What I'm trying to get you to understand tonight is not just wait, but watch. Don't watch what they're doing. Don't watch what Hollywood's promoting. Don't watch what everybody's popular for. Don't watch what makes people cool. Don't watch whatever. Watch yourself. Watch what God does in your life. Listen. Listen, listen. We preach to young people a lot of times and sometimes I feel like you think that we're against you. Friend, I'm not against you. I love you. I want what is best for you. I grew up just like you, sitting through the meetings, sitting through Christian school, sitting through all the youth camps. And I'm telling you, if you will just watch, just wait, do not, do not leave. The last psalm, and I think you're so familiar with it, I hope you are that you'll give me a little bit of leeway here. Of course, is Psalm chapter number 73. Asaph begins to 
document some things that he's dealing with. And when you look at it, you find that he is dealing with envy. He tells us that. He says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. He said, but as for me, my feet... Listen to the words that he uses now. He said, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Why? Verse number 3, for I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. And he goes on and on and on and on. And I understand what it is like to come to church and to hear man after man after man, Sunday school teacher after Sunday school teacher, tell you the same things over and over and over again. It's not worth it. And I say, amen. It'll hurt you out there. I say, amen. But I understand what it's like to hear it so much that it really starts to lose effect on you. You say, well, how do you know that any of us are like that tonight? I'm just telling you, I've been there. I found myself sitting there watching everybody else live however they want to live and seemingly live a great life. Have a big truck, have a big house, shoot big deer. And then I look at my minivan sitting in my front yard and I'll just be honest with you, sometimes I think, is this really worth it? I'll watch people steamroll preacher after preacher and I'll think, is this really worth it? I mean, is this really what it's... I mean, is this really what the Lord wants me to do? I could be making money. I could be making friends. I could be making people that come out of my boat and hang out and all the things and all the things. For the young person, it's the same way. You know that you're coming to church whenever the doors are open. That's a settled issue. And by the way, you ought to thank God for that. You'll come to the place one day where you'll be so thankful that it was that way. But even on your way, you think, well, here we go again. I got four nights to get through, probably 19 preachers, blah, 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 blah. And the whole time you're thinking about what you're going to do when you get the chance to do it. The moment you get a chance to have a little bit of freedom, the things that you're already planning out, plotting out. Oh, no, you don't understand. Not my little angel. I get all that. I got you. I got you. But the truth of the matter is everybody deals with looking where they are, looking who they are and what they have, looking at other people and saying, hey, that might be the ticket. What does Asaph has to say for us tonight? It, it just bolsters the thought already. In verse number 17, of course, you understand that he has a moment. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, He said, then understood I there, and please catch this word, their end. Their end. You say, what do you mean? Everything that you're looking at and everything you're wanting comes to an end. And I'm telling you that you want to be on this side of the end and not on that side of it. So what does Asaph say to us? David says, just wait. Just wait. That anonymous writer of Psalm 49, he says, just watch, watch to yourself, watch what your parents are telling you, watch yourself. Asaph joins in and he simply just says, stay. Stay where you are. He's going to go on to recount all the guilt that he has 
how foolish he feels. All the things when he understood, man, I almost gave up what I had to get what came to an end. It'll be impossible for me to pick out every specific thing, but young person, you need to understand that it is true that only the things that are done for Christ are the things that last. Only the things that have eternal value are the things that matter. And one day, it doesn't matter what somebody's putting on Facebook because that'll be done. And one day, it doesn't matter what the famous superstar thinks about this because he'll be gone. And one day, it's not going to matter what the style is because, trust me, it changes. You say, how much does it change? Can I just pause right here and give it? I'm a little bitter. I threw away all my champion stuff that my mom bought me in the early 90s. (laughs) All of it. And I was so glad to do it. The other day we're walking around the outlet malls and Champion has their own store. And I looked at a price tag and I thought, oh, I hate myself. I hate myself. (laughs) Styles come, styles go. Popularity comes, popularity goes. People come, people go. Asaph says, stay where you are. Stay where you are. Well, you said you're going to answer a question for us and I still... Seek to do that very quickly as I'm wrapping up. We understand by looking at all these psalms, and I wish I could have made it more clear to you, but honestly, there's sometimes a preacher could say anything he wants to, and you're just going to have to either accept it or you're just going to reject it. The truth of the matter is that what Asaph finds at the end of envy is the same thing that you and I will find as well. And I'd like to show you three of them very quickly if I could. Number one, in verses 21 through 22, Asaph found that he was wrong. (laughs) No other way to put it. He was wrong. Look what he says in verse number 21. Thus my heart was grieved. And I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Young person, I want to tell you with every bit of love in my heart for you that if you decide to go out and do whatever you think it is that you want to do, and when you understand, I'm talking about sinful things, you understand where we're going tonight, you are going to find out one striking reality, and it is that you were wrong. You were wrong. That boyfriend that you thought was the answer to everything, you're going to find out you were wrong. That drug that you thought you just had to try because everybody else tried, you're going to find out that you were wrong. Thumbing your nose at the preacher and the youth group in the church and saying, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to go hang out with my other friends. You're going to find out one day you were wrong. Whatever you left to get, whatever you thought you had to have to turn around and wish you had what you left, you're going to find out you were wrong. You were wrong. I've lived long enough, humbly enough to tell you I've been wrong a lot. There have been things I thought I really wanted. And against better judgment and against good counsel and against Bible preaching, I went after it to get it. And I tell you, I found nothing but heartache. I found nothing but pain. I found nothing but a strained relationship with my parents, problems in my church and my youth group. I was wrong. Number two, what can you expect to find at the end of envy? Not just that you were wrong, but secondly, you will find that you wasted precious time while pining for what you were envious of. 
Look what he says in verse number 23 through verse number 25. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast hold me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. Said, I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. What you're going to find is however much time you spend planning and then what you think to be enjoying and then the time that you spend regretting, you're going to look back one day and see how much time you really wasted when you could have just stayed, when you could have just received the blessing of the Lord when you could have just stayed faithful, when you could have just had God smile on your life. And let me tell you this, time is one thing that you will never get back. You'll never get back. I look at the crowd and I see young people, I see kids, I see teenagers, I see kids that think they're teenagers, I see everything in between. And let me tell you this, don't waste your time on things that don't matter. Don't waste your time on things that don't matter. I preach another message not to try to give you my whole repertoire. I've only preached twice. I've told you everything I know. So. But there's a statement in the Bible that's very striking. Jesus talking about the Pharisees. And he talks about if they hear and they understand. He said their eyes will be open. And he's going on to tell about their character. And he talks about how they have closed their eyes. There's a couple statements in the Old Testament that are quite similar. One of them talks about if a Hebrew man sees another man sacrificing his seed to Molech, that he's supposed to kill that man. You'll find in the Old Testament where the Bible said, though, that they hid their eyes from that. And one thing that people live with their eyes closed the most about is the shortness of life. The world has flipped it this way and they say YOLO. They say things like, man, do what makes you happy. You're not here for a long time. You better make it a good time. All the other stupid stuff that they could come up with. And I'm here to tell you that time is precious. You'll never get it back. And you do not want to stand later on in your life looking back knowing that you wasted some of the most precious years of your life. You found out he was wrong. You found out that he had wasted so much time. And then lastly, he found out, and what we will find as well, is that he was way better off with Christ and what he brings in his life. Would you say amen to that? Everybody that goes and comes back, and thank God that they do come back, but they come back singing the same song, and it was so much better when I was here. It was so much better than what I had. And I'm telling you right now, what you have right now, the fact that you are in church tonight on a Tuesday night, the fact that you have been here almost every service, the fact that your parents, however you got here, I'm telling you, you are so much better off sitting where you're at than sitting in a back seat somewhere, than sitting in a room, sitting on Snapchat, sitting on... I'm telling you, you are so much better off with God and the things that He gives. I guess we should all stand tonight. I don't know if you want to give an invitation, but I'll say this. Messages like this are hit and miss. I get it. 
But I'm telling you right now, if you're dealing with envy and you're dealing with the what-ifs and I wishes and I wants, I am begging you tonight to come and make a, I'm just a dedication, a commitment to God. That you, at least, at the very least, you're just going to wait. I'm not going to go after it right now. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to stay where I'm at. Parents that have young people, I'm not trying to drag people to the altar. That's none of my business. But y'all, we need to pray for our young people. We need to pray for what they're dealing with. You know what you're dealing with. Imagine what they're dealing with at the age that they're at.